summarize uh, what we've been looking at. We've be, uh, earlier this year we began with the book of Ephesians. Uh, we began with Ephesians, and last week we left off with looking at just only one word, the word redemption, in verses seven. Okay, in verses seven, I know uh, Albert has summarized what was two weeks ago, and we've been slowly going through. Ephesians, and my point was why we want to go through Ephesians. It is a book that's deep about God's grace, is because this book also mentioned the word inheritance quite a bit, and that also is well, just like even today when someone has an inheritance, you want to look at the details of what it is described that you would get. Okay, sometimes we get a windfall in life uh, through inheritance and everything else, but here we see just in the same way with also as well. There's a spiritual redemption, and just like even physical redemption, before we have our spiritual redemption, there must be the death of Christ. There must be a death of someone. And the death of Christ also guarantees certain things that God has given us. In looking at this today, we're going to see, whereas last week we saw what redemption is. We saw it was more topical. We looked at more thematically, more as a systematic theology. Of looking at the theme of, or biblical theology, from the flow of Genesis to Revelation. We saw the theme of redemption, of what that means. And what God has done to redeem us. Now we're going to see, according to Paul, verses 7 to 10, we're going to see the result of redemption. So today, if you're titling today's sermon, if you're writing down notes, or as last week was about redemption, what is redemption? Today, we're going to look at the result of redemption, okay? We're going to see today the result of redemption in verses 7 to 10, okay? Verses 7 to 10, we're going to see the result of redemption. If you're taking notes, all of this, by the way, uh, the point of Ephesians 1, all of this, it's not just head knowledge. All of this, it should make us sing to God, okay? If you guys remember, every time in each section... Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to see the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what God has done for us. Two weeks ago, as Albert summarized, we saw the work of God the Father is what? Election and predestination. We looked at what the term means uh, in that, okay? Uh, and also even with adoption. But now we're going to see as each work, uh, in verses 4 to 14, is, as I mentioned earlier, it's a very long run-on sentence, okay? Your English lit professor might not like it as much because it's a really ru- long run-on sentence. But in, in, with over 200 Greek words. But all of that is to say what God has done for us to save us with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In verses 4 to 6, we saw earlier the Father. Then the work of the Son. Okay, uh, And each one, if you see, with each ending, verses 6, verses 12, and verses 14, it always says what? To the praise of who? Uh, it is always to the praise uh, uh, of His glory, right? Uh, of His grace, okay? So all of this is to make us praise Him. So today we're going to see three more reasons why we should praise God. Three more, what? Reasons why we should praise God, okay? So if you're taking notes, these are the three reasons. Number one, praise God for the cost of redemption, okay? Verses 7, I know we covered that somewhat. We'll go over that again, okay? With the nuances of discussion about His blood, okay? Point number one is praise God for the cost of redemption. This is in verses 7. Point number two is praise God for God's forgiveness. Uh, So this is going to go to the result part, right? The result of that is forgiveness in verses 7. So that's point number two. Praise God for God's forgiveness. And point number three is praise God for wisdom. Okay? Praise God for wisdom. That's going to be in verses 8 to 10. Okay? Next week we'll pick this up again by looking at God's work of inheritance with that richness, verses 11 to 12, and also the work of the Holy Spirit, verses 13 to 14. Okay? So this all, remember, all of this is not just intellectual head knowledge. It's not so that we can say, oh, we're reformed, we know the order of salvation. It's not that we could uh, just merely be academic, but all of that it should make us say, we love you, God. Listen, listen. Sometimes, if we're not careful, when we go to church, we could think that the first 20 minutes is worship. You know, when Victor leads us in songs of worship, that should be worship. Amen? Yes. 
But sometimes we think, oh, you know what? Okay, worship's over. Now we need to hear God's word. And then sometimes we mentally check out. Or sometimes we think, okay, this is where we only take it. But actually, worship is not just only with songs of, that we sing. But worship should continue in our church service, even during the message itself, and the reading of God's word, and the preaching of God's word. Because all of that is to be say, yes, I want to praise you, God. And listen, if we go to church, and all our application, we learn how to live life, if we learn how to uh, be a better husband, be a better wife, be a better student, be a better son and daughter, but we never ever praise God, then we're doing our worship wrong. We're doing our application wrong. The primary application should primarily be first to praise God. And by the way, the praise to God also has implication. It changes the way we view our problems. It changes the way we look at our anxiety and our worries in our life. It changes all of that. But it, of course, the first primary application should be to praise God. So in light of this today, we're going to praise God for these three points. Okay, So let's look now at verses. our first point, which is praise God for the cost of redemption. Praise God for the cost of redemption. We're going to look at this in verses 7. Notice in verses 7, in the first part, it says, In Him we have what? Redemption. Okay? In Him. And I love how even the Greek uh, verb, we have, the present tense, I think, is stressing that redemption, while it's a past act, what Christ has done for us, it still is an ongoing reality. Okay? That if you're a Christian, you could say you are redeemed. Present tense. Okay? Not just past tense, but you are still in the state of being redeemed. Okay? A little bit about redemption. We covered this last week. Um, if you remember, we went through the richness of the word. This word appears ten times in the Old Testament, uh, New Testament, correction. Seven times by Paul and three times in Ephesians. And really it means the ransom that's paid for releasing someone from bondage in the context of slavery. Okay? Remember how we talked about, uh, even last time, that this is a, in, in this time period, a third of the Roman Empire would have been even under slavery. And to be free from slavery, you need to be purchased. You can't just say, oh, I just free this guy. I just want to. But you have to go through a process, which means that there's a purchase, there's a legal thing that goes around it, and then there's a cost also as well for you to get a certificate to say you're no longer a slave of somebody, but now you're a slave of one of the gods. Okay? Using that analogy, Paul says this is what God has done for us, to save us from the slavery of sin. Okay? Now, here we see... The uh, description of the cost, we've talked about earlier, it, it costs his son. But here in this language that Paul uses, I think it's beautiful. He doesn't just say, oh, his son. He uses as it described, the second description of the cost is now using the term redemption, which already involved cost. But now we see a second uh, description of the cost that we praise God for. It says, through his blood, okay? Through his blood, okay? The preposition through here is, I think, emphasizing more of the agency outside uh, of us. Okay? Uh, it's not through us, but it's an outside agency, uh, another person. That is through the person of Christ. But notice it says his blood. Why does it say his blood? Now, I was looking at this. I was actually thinking, man, if I were to, if someone asked me what does, how much does it cost to be redeemed, to be saved from our sins, I'll automatically I would say Jesus Christ. But then we might ask, why does he pick the word blood? I think there's a richness with the theme, His blood. Well, you know what I find so beautiful is this. I actually think, um, if you've been following along with Thursday Lighthouse, and also even the last few weeks since we began, I was making this point that sometimes to be, we must be relevant in preaching and sharing the gospel to all. But there's a wrong way of going about being relevant to preach the gospel at all, and there's a right way. And I was bringing up the point that if we look at the original words, there's a natural analogy already to bridge every culture. If we do a deeper study with each word, there's a natural analogy to every culture you could reach. And here in Paul, he's writing to a church 
That's the church of Ephesus. This was a mixed ethnic church. This was a church that had Jews who knew the Old Testament very likely or some knowledge of it. And also Gentiles who probably didn't know as much. Okay. Or were engrafted in later on. Okay. So here in looking at all this, he uses the word blood, which would have been a very rich term with Old Testament background. Okay. So how we redeem what's the cost? It says his blood. That is specifically Christ's blood. He didn't just say Christ's life. And I think because it's going back and invoke the Old Testament to say there's an analogy. There's all these descriptions to understand more richly, appreciate God more and praise God more of what it means that God redeemed us through Jesus Christ. Okay. Turn with me real quick. Put your pick to your thumb in Ephesians. And we're going to be slowly marching from Old Testament to New. Uh, just to see the richness of the term his blood and the theme with that connection with forgiveness. Turn with me real quick to Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. So Leviticus chapter what? 17 verses 11, okay? So if you're in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Exodus, Leviticus would be the third book, okay? Leviticus chapter 17, verses 11. This is what God's word says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. We'll stop there real quick. So it's making connection that one of the reasons why our life is there is a relationship with our blood to us being physically alive in terms of our flesh, physically. It says, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. So God gives a second reason why he puts blood in us, okay? One is so that we would have life, but the other one is also God requires blood for what? Uh, to be on the altar for atonement. Uh, the Hebrew word for atonement means covering. That is covering over our sin. Okay, and Maybe the analogy is there's a wrong way and a right way of going about cover our sin. There's a cover-up we often think of, right? For instance, someone does something bad, they try to hide it. But there's another cover-up. I think maybe the analogy is if you think of a wall, might be not as new, and you put on fresh what? Paint. Okay? Fresh paint with that. You cover that up. Okay? It's blemishes. So here, the right way to cover up our sin is through the blood. And it says, for it is the blood by reason of the life. That makes what? Atonement. Okay? So way back in the Old Testament, it already makes this thing to say, why, in order to be forgiven, in order to have our sin covered over in the right way, it involves what? Blood. Okay? Uh, it is more than Christ's death that is uh, needed. Uh, let me be careful real quick, okay? It is more than Christ's death that is needed. But please don't run away and say this is heresy. It's the way Christ died that's very important. Okay? It's the way that Christ died. It's the way that He died as a sacrifice, okay? As a sacrifice for us. In other words, this isn't just an accident that Christ died. But rather, it was very intentional that Christ offered Himself as sacrifice. And even with the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament system, there are certain ways to go about it, yes? Should you strangle, I don't know, your, 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 uh, the animal that you sacrifice? No, it must be the shedding of blood, okay? There must be a shedding of blood. In other words, it's being poured out. Okay, It must be done a certain way. For the Jews, when it comes to sacrifice, they never killed an animal by strangulation, but rather to shed a blood. And I know this is a very graphic imagery, to see the blood being poured out and everything else. Okay, um, You guys know Pastor Andrew? Before, he was the old pastor here. right? He was what? Very... He was really into... I remember early on when he had his little daughters, he always wanted his little girls to see what? The sheep die, right? To be, die for food or whatever. And he wanted this to show that the little girls of his would see just the physical representation. So when they go, whoa, that's so sad. They say, hey, even more so, Christ who died for us. Now, I'm going to say this. 
A few years ago, I was there when he did show his daughter, and I had to, what, even seeing bloodshed, I had to, like, look away, okay? Because there's a physical analogy there, right, of, of, of what involves the cost, right, to save us from our sins. So it is through the blood of Christ, okay? And this is truth affirmed uh, throughout the uh, New Testament also as well, that it is by redemption is by His blood, okay? For instance, turn with me. For the sake of time, we're going to only look at uh, one passage. But it's all throughout the scripture. Romans 3, 24 to 25. Romans 3, 24 to 25. This is still by the Apostle Paul. Romans 3, 24 to 25. This is what it states. Just as being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is Christ Jesus. So we see the term redemption appear here, okay? And it says it's in Jesus Christ. But then notice the next verse, verse 25, it clarifies this. Which God publicly displayed as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Do you see there's a connection of blood, again, with also as redemption, okay? So that's in verses 24, Romans 3.24 and Romans 3.25, okay? So I'm bringing up this to say is this. The first thing we need to praise God for as our application, is we need to praise God for the cost of redemption. We need to praise God for the cost of redemption. And what's the cost? It is the death of who? Jesus Christ, okay? With the offering of the blood, okay? In, in using this imagery of blood, I think it's giving a much more vivid imagery of what it is. Sometimes we can hear so much. We can domesticate the gospel sometimes in our heart by saying, oh, we're so used to hearing, oh, Christ died for our sins, right? Christ died for our sins. I love teaching the little kids on Friday at Good Time Learning. One of the things I love about it is when I teach, what I often do is my wife would get some kind of snacks for them or candies as a prize after they're done. Then after we're done with Bible study, they'll line up, girls first, boys first, and when they come up, I'll ask them what they learned. And you know what the kids, if they don't remember anything, if they were daydreaming, you know what the answer is they always say? That they know they'll always get a prize. They almost smile. Like when they forget, they're like, uh, you know, when they go, sometimes, sometimes there'll be a kid, they'll repeat the same thing the kid previously, and I know they overheard it. And the other kid's like, hey, you just overheard it, because it's phrased exactly. And then there's, and I'll say, oh, try again. Tell me something else you learned besides that. And you know what the kids always say? They always smile, because I always end by saying what? Christ died for our sins, okay? So they'll always smile because they'll, you know, they'll always get it no matter what, even if they don't pay attention. They'll always know, and you know, I'm okay with that because why? I want it, if there's anything they remember, if there's only one thing they remember, I hope it's that line. Christ died for what? Our sins, our sins okay? Uh, Christ died for our sins. But sometimes in using the analogy of blood, it's more vivid. It reminds us of the preciousness of the gospel. So praise God for what? The cost of our redemption, okay? So do you appreciate Christ's sacrificial death to you? Even this morning when you were singing songs, were you going through emotion, or were you actually saying, wow, Lord God, even at this moment, hearing the word of God, I'm so thankful for you offering yourself to die for me. Do you also, secondly, thank God you, uh, uh, the, uh, and praise Him, sorry, that you no longer are a slave of sin. Remember, redemption is involved purchasing away from what? The power and the penalty of our sins. So we need to be thankful for Him for that. By the way, even as a day-to-day -day life, sometimes we need to be reminded that God not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but we need to remember that God saves us from the power of sin. Sometimes we live our life with Stockholm Syndrome, thinking, oh no, sin rules us and sin is a great master. 
Well, reality is what? No, we need to be preaching to... Listen, the gospel is not just only something you preach to someone that don't believe. Christians, we need the gospel to be preached to our hearts every day. Okay? Every single day. Okay? First thing in the morning, what I do is what? Read. Something spiritual. I know we're all wired differently. I've always been a morning person. uh, uh, Not morning person. uh, Evening owl. Okay? Uh, Evening owl. But then I always hear people read about the word of God during what? The morning. And I realize, oh, you know what? I need to make that habit. As hard as it is. But I realize, whoa, there is a blessing. And why I actually like evening devotion is what? No matter how bad my day is, it always ends with what? Christ died for my sins. Okay? I always end the sermon the same way in my own life, in my own preaching. By ending the day and I sleep like a baby afterward. Knowing that I'm forgiven. Knowing the goodness of God. Knowing the grace of God. Okay? So we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. To remind ourselves. Not only are we saved from the penalty of sin. But we're saved from the power of sin. Okay? We need to remember that we are no longer a slave of sin. But our identity is what? We're one of His. We're now a slave of Christ. Okay? So let's go on to the second point. Uh, so the first point is praise God for what? Uh, the cost of redemption. Second point, if you're taking notes, is praise God for God's forgiveness. Okay? Now, I know this could be so cliche sometimes. But I think we must never forget this, okay? The point, I think, of all spiritual living, the point I even feel for my own sanctification, there's certain times where you fight certain sin really hard in different crises in your life. But I think sometimes when you look at it, it's to renew what it means. that What it means that uh, we should praise God for what? Our forgiveness in Christ, okay? Let's look again in verses 7, okay? Verses 7. When it says in him we have redemption to his blood, notice it qualifies this. In the Greek, it's an apposition, the word forgiveness with redemption. It's saying, in other words, what does it mean to be forgiven? Or what does it mean to be redeemed? You're going to see what it means is to be forgiven of our sins. So we're going to praise God for the result of redemption. And the first result we see is we praise God for what? For the fact that we have been forgiven for our sins. Now, when I was looking at this, I was thinking, I'm so used to hearing the word forgive. Christians, we hear that word forgive so much that I decided that this week I actually say, you know what? I've actually done word studies for redemption. I've done word studies for all these other terms, right? Adoption. But I've never actually stopped and say, hey, what does the word forgiveness actually mean in its original context? To do a lexical study and not to abuse it, but to properly interpret, to give the idea of what the word means in its root so that you could appreciate a little bit more the analogy of what it means of what God has done for us. Now it occurred to me, all these years, I've never actually looked in depth with the word forgiveness in terms of doing a lexical study. Like I said earlier, done it for everything else. We preach on this, right? Propitiation, you know, all that atonement, all of those words that we mentioned. But you know, it was so shameful for me. It was, I felt like, whoa, I've been so used to the term forgiveness that I thought I already knew everything about it. But maybe that's like all of us. Sometimes we hear so much, but maybe the way to be more refreshed, to hear the fresh of the Word of God in our lives is actually to go deeper to say what does it mean in its original context. So it's in this light to praise God for His forgiveness I decided this week to actually look more in depth with what the word means. It is a legal term just like all the other words, okay? It is a legal term which I was surprised. I just thought it was just forgive, it's just forgive, right? Uh, really idea, you see another usage is legal cancellation of debt or a pardon was granted, Okay? Uh, you can imagine when you have a lot of debt, when it's canceled, guess what? Uh, you're excited, okay? 
Uh, this week I saw on Facebook, anyone's Facebook have more ads? I feel like you see more ads on the phone than, than on a laptop, okay? Because I feel like I'm scrolling, because sometimes I'm so used to scrolling and not noticing the ads, but when my daughters look over my shoulder, they notice every single ad because they ask questions about it. I'm like, oh, I'm so blinded. So one of the ads I saw recently was actually a Honda, one of those, I guess, I don't know what it is. They wear a blue shirt, they go do different things, okay? Yeah, the Honda people, whatever, okay? So one of the ads they saw was like, they asked this guy like, oh, uh, how much college have you have? And he said a big amount. I was like, whoa, that's a big amount. And they say, what would you like, what would you do if you would like to be forgiven of all your debt? And the guy said, yeah, I would. But you have to do one thing. And he said, what? Tackle this guy. And then there's like a guy that dressed in the Honda thing. You guys see the thing? And then he rushes like so eagerly. I was thinking, dude, I think this guy's like applied violence here, right? That's how eager he is, okay? To be forgiven. But sometimes we miss that. Sometimes when we hear the truth that our forgiveness is free, we think, oh, you know what? Okay, that must be cheap. We miss that joy. Just that guy said, what? Forgiven? Have it cancel, my debt canceled? How would be eagerly that when he tackled this guy, he's like tackling his debt head on, but knowing it's also done by someone else, okay? So in the same way, he's so eager because someone, after knowing you'll be forgiven, and even on, onwards, you'll be excited to do whatever that person says. Same way, we should have that eager excitement to praise God, to know that our moral debt towards God has been what? Canceled, okay? That we have been pardoned also as well for our sins. We can't get a, a greater appreciation of this term by looking at another term that is synonymous to it and noticing the difference, okay? Turn with me real quick to Romans 3.25. Why I'm turning here, again, let me say this real quick, is to look at a synonym and note how it is different, okay? So we can appreciate fully when it says that God redeemed us means He forgive us. We could love God a little bit more deeper. Romans 3.25. Romans 3 what? 25. 25, thank you. Josh, if you could use your big boy voice to read it so I could catch my breath and drink water. Oh, God displayed publicly as propitiation in blood through faith this was uh, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins you see the word forbearance okay uh, you see the word also as well that he passed over sins okay um, the word uh, passed over I would say is a synonym with forgiveness with one difference Passing over means temporarily God is not going to, what, punish you, okay? God is not going to punish you. But the word forgiveness is different in this way. Forgiveness means God permanently will not, what, punish you, okay? I'm bringing it up to say is this, to look at this so, so we could appreciate more. Whereas in the past time, God didn't necessarily punish people right away, okay? By the way, also in our lives, that is true even ongoing reality today, right? How many of us, when you committed your first sin, you died? How many of us still sin and God still spared us, right? So that is His forbearance, okay? In fact, if He judged us and, died, and we died right away as non-believers, then there is no hope. So the forbearance of God, that means temporarily uh, God is not punishing us. But now forgiveness is different. It's what? God permanently will not punish us. So I think this gone all to say is what? We should be thankful to who? To God, okay? Maybe I could, if I could use, going back to even the legal analogy earlier of debt, okay? Uh, sometimes in our life, some of us might have student debt, and we're trying to pay that off. And then while we're, for instance, if you have a college debt for your undergrad, you go to grad school. You experience forbearance, because why? Temporarily, you're not what? Required to pay back your what? 
debt. Does that make sense? You're thankful for that. Then after you're done with college, you have what? Six months usually before you have to start paying your... That is called forbearance. But forgiveness means what? No longer counted towards you forever. So we appreciate God with that. That our debt, our more debt towards God. God has canceled that out. Another way, uh, so uh, the word forgiveness, it comes from that. And really, literally the word means uh, to send away. Okay? To send away. So forgiveness means to send what? Away. Away, okay? I think the Old Testament already has a built-in analogy for us to greater appreciate that. If you look at the Day of Atonement, turn with me real quick to Leviticus chapter 16, verses 7 to 10. We're look, again, let me rephrase why we're looking at Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16. The reason why we're looking at this is to appreciate further the term send away with the Old Testament holiday that they have called the Day of Atonement. Say this after me. Day, Day. of Atonement. This was a big Jewish holiday, okay? Uh, I think in Hebrew it's called Yom... I can't pronounce it. Yom Kippur, okay? So in the Day of Atonement, in Leviticus 16, verses 7 to 10, I think it gives us a vivid imagery of the idea of sending away. Remember, forgiveness is sending what? Away, okay? Let me just read Leviticus 16, uh, 17, for, uh, correction, Leviticus 16, verses 7 to 10 first, then we will break this down to see how does the term, how does this verse illuminate or gives us further insight that we could appreciate what forgiveness means in terms of a vivid analogy, okay? In Leviticus 16, verses 7 to 10, uh, um, 7 to 10 there's a description on that day of atonement. Uh, two things would happen, okay? Two things will happen. Let's read this, okay? He says, He, that is uh, uh, Aaron, or w- one of the high priests, shall take two goats. How many goats? Two. And present them before the Lord at the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. That means he's going to what? Basically kind of roll a cast. Ideal rolling a dice. What will happen to which goat, Okay. Uh, verses uh, uh, eight, uh, Aaron shall uh, cast lots for two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which lot for the Lord fell, and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord, to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Okay? You ever hear the term scapegoat? What do you often mean by scapegoat? Who here likes to be a scapegoat at work? All right, okay. Here's the word the term ori- originate from, okay? Here you see that there's two goats who were involved in the Day of Atonement. One was killed, according to verses 8. One was killed, its blood was what? Remember, they don't get strangled. This blood to be shed, to be poured out, okay? For the forgiveness of sin. And it was sprinkled according to what? Verses 9, okay? So that happens to one goat. But then there's another goat. Something else is different, okay? The second goat, usually in other passages, it mentioned that the high priest will lay its hand on it, saying transferring the sin of all the people will now be taken upon by the goat, okay? This goat would be then idea, is like, okay, it takes upon sin. The other goat is what? Like, you know, remember they have to pick a uh, perfect lamb or, or one that's without defect to represent what? Christ. Being the perfect sacrifice without sin, dying for our sins, to cover us, to wash us new. But then what happens to our sin also needs to be transferred away. So then the high priest would lay its head, hand on the, what? Head of the goat, okay? 
Once it does that, according to verses 10, it was taken into the deep wilderness where it will be let go. And of course, when it let go, it would they go far, far away. It will never find its way back. Okay? What does that mean? It's symbolizing God letting go of the people's sin. Okay? Remember what we mentioned earlier? The root word of forgiveness means to send away. Okay? What a vivid imagery. What a vivid imagery. Right? You can, I mean, even an analogy of all culture, even in our world today of what? You know, of college students and paying loan. When you're done with, I don't know, paying, was it Sally Mae and what? Freddie Mac and what's the other ones? All those other loans, Stafford, all those names that, you know, when you're done with them, do you ever need to drop by to the office? Unless you need to take another loan. But, but do you need to come by? No, they'll be like, oh, okay, you're done. Send you on your happy way, okay? So no matter what culture, I think you could always give the analogy of forgiveness, send the other way. And using also the Old Testament, seeing the vivid imagery that one goat was sent away, that God forgives. He's no longer counting against you. He sends it away as a sin. It's, in other words, quote-unquote, loss. It's no longer what? Counted against you. I think it's a pretty vivid imagery to say that your sin is no longer what? Counted against you. In fact, Scripture doesn't just stop here with this analogy. Scripture's other analogy for forgiveness we're going to look at so we can further appreciate, so that we can further praise God. I hope in looking at this, in our hearts we're saying, wow, thank you Jesus for dealing with my sin in this way. Thank you Jesus that you sent my sin away and is never to be found and counted against me again. Thank you, Jesus. Look with me also as well to further see forgiveness, to appreciate this. Psalm 103, verse 12. Let's turn to Psalm 103, verse 12. Psalms 103, verses 12. Psalms 103, verses 12. Josh, could you read it uh, if you're there so I could catch my breath? Here's another imagery of forgiveness, right? East and the West. East is separated from the West, right? That's how far away our sin is. Another imagery, if I could look at one more. Uh, Turn to Micah, chapter 7. So Micah's in the Minor Prophet. It's almost heading towards the direction of the New Testament. Okay? It's a little bit past half of your Bible, okay? Micah, chapter 7. Okay, uh, if I say the book is between uh, Jonah and Nahum, I don't know if it's helpful for some of you guys. Okay, you guys can use your table of content. Okay, you should know the, the our scripture. Okay, uh, in Micah chapter seven verses eighteen and nineteen, again we're looking at this to further appreciate scripture's built-in analogy of what God's granting forgiveness. Micah chapter seven verses eighteen to nineteen. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 19 says, who is, like God, who is a God like you who pardon iniquity, who passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delight in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, he will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Okay. You see what he says here? He's saying, you know one of the difference between the God of the Bible and other, and remember Micah's a time period where people were into idolatry. The people of God, the Israel, were pursuing other 
idols, right? Other false gods. And here Micah says, turn back to God. But among the many things why you should turn back to God is remember the God of the Bible is different than other ones. Is that He forgive what? Sins. Okay? He forgives sins. Did you catch how beautiful that is? This is, by the way, in the Old Testament. Sometimes people say, oh, the Old Testament God is more harsh than the New Testament. But even building the Old Testament, God is already revealing Himself as what? He's a God that loves us and forgives us. Because it says here in verses 18, He's a God who pardons what? Iniquity. And then in verses 19, did you catch the imagery? The analogy He drew? He says He'll have compassion. He'll crush our iniquities, right? It's almost like He's crushing it. He's having victory over our sins, okay? And just before you think, oh, that means He crushes us, He judges us. Notice He goes on and says, He will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea, okay? He throws it into the depths of the sea, amen, okay? He throws that into the depths of the sea. Have you guys ever, like, dropped anything in, like, deep water before? Yeah. Right? Uh, ever drop it maybe in the lake, right? And then you think, oh, you probably won't. See it again, okay? <laughs> the sea, the ocean is pretty deep, is it not? It's pretty deep. I think it was Anthony that sent me a YouTube video. Was it you, Anthony? That sent, I don't know, one of you guys sent a video of how deep the sea is to me. Uh, apparently, you could fit, what? Mount Everest under the ocean, right? I think the deepest part is Marina, not Del Rey, what do you call it? The Marina Trench, okay? In the Pacific, okay? <laughs> You could fit the, uh, what do you call it, uh, Mount Everest. Uh, Mr. Burton, you, when you went to India, did you pass by the Himalayas? Oh, okay, right. Uh, ben Chung, you remember seeing the Himalayas before? I mean, the Himalayas look very frightening to me. Okay, I think uh, Paul has also seen the Himalayas through the Tibet side. Is that correct? So as high as that is, the sea level is further down than that, right? I kind of wish I could just like go over in a plane. <laughs> Right, and just drop a penny, just down with Marina Del Rey, and just think about where it all goes, okay? Just like think about 30,000 feet in the air, and then another whatever feet, right? That's how far deep down it is. When you drop something in the Pacific Ocean, down in the Marina Del Rey, you will not find it what? You will not find it, okay? By the way, even with all our technology, with our sonar technology, you know, sometimes you hear about like people finding ships like the Titanic. You know, I'm a big fan of World War II, of the Pacific uh, Naval Campaign, okay? Uh, I love reading about it, okay? And I love about how when they find ships. But you know one of the things that fascinate me? Even as much sonar technology, they never have, some ships they still have a hard time finding. Okay, because it's so far away, they drift further away than what it is. And of course, back then the maps weren't as accurate, right? The, you know, U.S. seeing Japanese carriers or, or where the Japanese self-report um, themselves where it's at. But all of that is to say it's so hard to find. In the same way, with all that, if you drop a penny into the marina trench, you'll never find it. Again, humanly speaking, same way God says, I remove, I send away, and I don't want it to come back and count it against you. All that is to say, are you thankful for the forgiveness God has presented to you? Notice in verses 7, the second half says, what's the standard of God's forgiveness? It's according to the riches of His grace. Okay, it's according to the riches of His grace. So we see here the riches of His grace. I love this. Okay, I love this term, the word according. Uh, I think it's different. It's not saying from His uh, richness, but I think it's according. I think maybe there's a subtle nuance with how rich it is, this term. Okay, uh, Maybe to appreciate the idea of He says He forgives according to His riches versus He uh, can forgive 
from his riches. I think maybe the analogy would be helpful is this. Let's just say there's a ministry. Uh, everyone was asked, oh, could you guys donate $25? So there's a millionaire in the church, and he cuts a check for $25, just like everyone else. Now, he gave from his riches, but it's not according to his riches. Maybe if he were to say, okay, this ministry needs help. Everyone cut a check out for $25. And then he decided to write a check out for $100,000. He's not doing what everyone else is doing. Now it's from his what? According to the standard of how he's rich. He's giving more. Okay? So, and bringing that analogy up is to say, when it says here, according to the riches of his grace, he's not just saying, okay, I'm just giving pennies and I'm rich. I can afford to give you pennies. He's giving to the scale how rich he is, that he forgive us for our sins. Okay? Listen, listen. In our Christian life, we will struggle with sin in our day-to-day life. Yes? We struggle with that. Even as we know we're forgiven, and I think sometimes we need to remember that even with our sin, sometimes we can be so discouraged that we struggle with sin, we think, oh, you know what? Maybe this sin, God cannot forgive us anymore. Oh, you know, I've for- He's forgiven me all this time. But maybe this one I can't. And then you say, oh, there's no hope. And therefore you what? Go into further sin, right? By the way, if you ever think of the mentality, okay, I'll go back to God only when I have canceled out my sin. You know you're never going to be able to. Because while you're living every day, guess what happened? You're accumulating more sin, okay? And that's not what God says. The basis of you going to God is not because of how good you are or how much you try. The basis you go to, if, if, if it's all about how good you are and how much you try, Christ died for what? No reason. There's no reason for Him to die. But He died because we, He knows we cannot do it by ourselves. And this is according to His riches of His grace. I know this verse could be abused, but I think it needs to be said, okay? It is biblical. Turn with me to Romans 5.20, okay? This is, let me say this real quick. This is not a license to sin, but nevertheless, you need to know how rich His grace is. And if you understand how rich His grace is, this should be a motivation for you to what? To pursue forgiveness, to pursue holiness. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, this is what it says. Romans chapter 5, verses 20. It says this. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abound all the more. But a good hope. When you live life, there will be times you will sin a lot more than other days. Even as you live through life, you're going to accumulate more. But then that's, some of us would feel, oh, whoa, we're so condemned by that. But do you catch that? Where there is what? When their transgression increased, transgression means purposeful, intentional sin, okay? What increases also as well? Grace increases even more. You need to realize this. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, on your best of days, you're still what? A sinner in need of grace. On your worst of days, you're still a sinner saved by grace. So we need to see that. Again, this is not a license to sin. But if you understand this, this should move us to say, wow, I want to praise you, God. And thank you for how much you've forgiven me. Of how much you saved me. Of how, no matter how many things I've done against you, you love me so much. And God is still just because Christ died for our sins. This is what redemption means. That He sent away our sin. As application, as believers, are we thankful that we've been forgiven? By the way, I want to even ask uh, also as well, have you understood the richness of even the word forgiveness? I know this week I've been really blessed 
Because I never, like I said earlier, it was a word that I take it so much for granted. Because what? I feel like, oh, if you're, since I was a baby Christian, so when I first accepted Christ, I knew what forgiveness enough to act on it. So then I thought, oh, that's it. But have you also been, even this hour, been amazed with the term means in its original context of sending away, of even all those imagery, are you making more appreciative of grace, of this idea of sin being sent away, of the idea of sin, as it says, being even thrown down into the ocean, of sin even also, also as far away from us as from the east and the west, as sin as far away as what a scapegoat that's being sent away to the wild, never to be found again, okay? Are you appreciative of that? Secondly, as application also as well. Believers, we're called to seek God's forgiveness daily still. There's the relation, legal forgiveness. He'll, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you'll never go to hell. He has canceled out your debt. But remember the term. Forgiveness is permanent, not temporary. Okay, He's permanently forgiven us. But that doesn't mean you don't seek God day to day for forgiveness. Okay, Maybe I could give an analogy as this. Remember how... Um, uh, God is like a judge, yes? If you do something wrong, you must be tried in a court of law. But let's just say the judge afterward pays the penalty for his own son. He still has to pay because he has to be a fair judge, right? And, and a right judge. He pays the penalty. But does that mean the, the, does that mean the son, after he's been legally, the pay, fine is paid by the father. Does that mean he doesn't go to the father and say thank you in a relational way? Of course he should, right? Same thing also as well. While we're legally forgiven for our sin, that doesn't mean in our day-to-day life we don't seek forgiveness. I think that's what Jesus meant when He said in the Lord's Prayer, right? You need to go to Him, what? Forgive us of our sins, right? So we need to go even practically on our day-to-day basis to go to God and say, Lord God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sin this week. Forgive me all of that. I think in light of this, maybe this is a good place to end and we'll pick up a... Verses 8 to 10 next week, okay? Uh, we only finish our second point. But I think this is a good place to end because we need to be reminded again the reason why we could be forgiven is because of the high cost of redemption. You know, sometimes it's hard to say no to sin, but I always feel it's easy to say yes to grace. And the first step is go to Him and say, Lord God, forgive me. And only when you experience this forgiveness can you say, you know what? Fighting sin is hard. But I'll take it moment by moment by grace because of loving obedience, because of how much He loved me. And for some of us today, if you have not known of the riches of how much He's forgiven you, maybe today is the day that you place your trust in Him to say, Lord God, forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying to save us from our sins. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, Thank you, Lord, for these verses that we've seen, that you save us from our sin. Lord God, we pray, Lord, even as it ended up that it was just one verse, Lord God, help us to see, even as next week we look at how the application of redemption means that we are wise, but give us wisdom even right now to see ahead of time the riches that came from you of grace to save us from our sins to give us the greatest prize of all which is God himself in Christ help us Lord if anyone here does not know you that they will put their trust that they will believe in you today for those who are believers help us Lord to never be grow cold in our love towards you 
to ever be reminded of just how rich forgiveness means. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving our sins. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us. Thank you, Lord, for the high cost of our redemption. Move us to love you more. And may this glow in our hearts flow in how we fellowship and minister and encourage one another in our time of fellowship after the service. In Jesus' name we pray.